Welcome to yet another episode of Teaching Startups to Fish, Sales, Scale, and Startups. I'm going to dive straight in because I'm very excited to speak with today's guest coming to us live from Dubai, Shruti Kapoor. Shruti has a wealth of experience in the world of sales and has held various leadership positions across the globe. Shruti is currently the CEO of Wingman, a company that allows sales managers to ensure their reps have the right guidance at the right time, which is damn near impossible of a problem to solve in my opinion, but I'm really keen to see how this goes. Shruti, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. And maybe a small correction or addition to my intro. I sold Wingman to Clary last year. And so I now wear multiple hats, um, including helping Clary with international partnerships and strategy. Ooh, this is going to be an even better podcast than I thought. Awesome. Well, perfect. We've already started the first thing. I was going to say, I would love for you to give our listeners a bit of an introduction to who you are and a brief snapshot of the work you've done in the world of sales. Absolutely. So I started out my career in investment banking. And I think while people think of investment banking as, you know, a lot of finance, Excel sheets, at the base of it, it really is a sales job, right? And even the way you kind of think about, you know, what transactions are going to happen, who you should be speaking to, it's very much like a sales funnel. So that's where my experience with sales and the corporate world started. I was doing M&A in 2008 in Singapore and looking at media and telecom industry at that point, which of course was going through a massive change with you know telecom becoming private in different geographies at that moment. And yeah, I think technology always interested me. So after that, I went to spend nearly a decade working on investing in very early stage tech coming out of you know university research or tinkerers in garages. And that kind of motivated me to go and say that I wanted to be able to see this technology take a life of its own as a startup. And, you know, I was itching to start up and that's what I did five years back with Wingman. That is awesome. That is So how did you make the connection from investment banking to sales? Because I know a few investment bankers, but I've never heard anyone say that it's similar to sales. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. So, uh, you know, the investment banking division that does all of these corporate development type of transactions, right? So you're doing M&A advisory or you're helping a company figure out whether they want to do IPO or, you know, raise funding in other ways. Essentially, you're first trying to sell yourself to the company that you are the right advisor for them. So a large part of the job and they literally have what they call coverage teams, right? And the coverage team's job is really to you know, stay in touch with the customers. It's like a long sales cycle because, you know, a company is maybe going to do an IPO once, right? So, (laughs) but you're probably going to start talking to a company like three years before they're actually going to do an IPO. And then you're going to kind of be a part of that journey where you're advising them and saying, I think this is where you should do an IPO. I think this is what you should think about when you're doing an IPO. So you then go in as both being a subject matter expert in many ways and educating them. But also helping them understand why you are better than the rest of the investment banks, right? So it is, in that sense, a very long sales cycle. And of course, depending on the company that you're talking to, there might be multiple opportunities that the same company could be exploring from an investment banking advisory perspective. So, you know, a company could be looking at saying, hey, should I go and buy this company? Should I go take a minority stake in some other company? You know, should I raise more funding so that I could do larger transactions? So there could be multiple parts to it, but across all of those, you're trying to figure out the product that you're selling and selling it at the same time. That is really interesting. Now it completely makes sense. So it's like a it's like a long enterprise 
it's like a long, long enterprise sales cycle sort of thing where it runs over three years, multiple stakeholders. Makes sense. Now it really does make sense. Thank you. And then where was the light bulb moment for you to start Wingman? Yeah. So in my second job, which was with a company called Intellectual Ventures, we were investing in, like I said, early stage technology. And there was a startup whose technology we invested in. And that was, you know, it was really intriguing for me to see how much, like, I felt that, you know, if I were in their shoes, I could be doing so many more things. I could be running faster. When you're inside a large company, this is just one of the hundred things you're doing, right? Like you're not putting your full energy or attention behind it. And for me at that point, I was like, you know, what I really would love to be able to do and what would make me feel, you know, fully alive would be if I could go and build something from scratch on my own. And so I think that was the light bulb moment in terms of saying, listen, I really have to do a startup. I need to get this out of my system. I know chances of failure are high and all of that, but it was literally at that point. And then I think getting to the idea of what we wanted to start up was more kind of an iterative process. So I met my co-founders and then, you know, we ideated on a bunch of things and then we tried to validate. So that was a little bit, I would say, less of a light bulb moment in itself, a little bit more analytical getting there. So when you were doing that ideation and trying to figure out what to start, what was the core problems that you were looking at solving? And then how did that land on solving this problem that Wingman solves? Yeah, so we looked at a few different kind of B2B problems, either based on bad experiences that we had with dealing with companies or where we had some sort of direct or indirect exposure, right? So, of course, my two co-founders, they had worked in Silicon Valley in like, you know, Google and Uber for, you know, decades. And uh, so we had some exposure to understanding, you know, what developer problems might look like. We also, you know, were beginning to face challenges with how logistics works with e-commerce in India, just because of the way the addresses in India are set up, right? Like, write an address in India, it'll be like, you know, it's behind that bank and in front of this building and next to that roundabout. And by the time you're done with writing the address and the person who's reading it and trying to do a delivery to you, like, they could be in any quadrant of that <laughs> layout. So, so those were the different types of things that we were looking at. But honestly, most of that was coming from problems that we had experienced, right? And Wingman itself came from, so just before starting Wingman, I was working at a fintech company where I was helping them, you know, with their go-to-market strategy in a new market because they were just entering India. They had been around in different markets at that point. And through that process, I was doing, you know, kind of managing the sales team, figuring out what the messaging for the market was and all of that. Through that process, I was feeling the pain that we eventually decided to solve with Wingman. And the pain for me was two things. One, it was hard to get alignment across what the sales teams were giving us feedback from the customer and actually getting marketing and product to act on it. Because, um, you know, in this case, it was a little bit more evident because the marketing and product teams were in Israel versus the sales teams were in the local markets uh, across the world. So it was just very hard culturally even for them to kind of understand why they needed to do something differently for a different market. And bringing my product on a call with a customer or a prospect is very hard because it just kind of delays the whole cycle. So my thing was, listen, if I could just have that moment recorded when the customer gave me this feedback, it would have been so valuable. Now, I wouldn't be spending the next three weeks trying to schedule a meeting between product and the customer. And the second problem that I was feeling at that point was that I had different people in my team with, you know, very different levels of performance. And if you look at, you know, what the lead flow was, et cetera, 
it would look very similar, but the outcomes were very different. And as a person who's managing them, I need to be able to give them feedback on saying, hey, you know, if you do this, maybe you'll get to a better outcome. And that was really hard for me because I wasn't on those calls and the Salesforce metrics all looked the same across the team members, or they looked very similar, I would say. So, so that was my other thing. If I could actually be listening in on some of these sales calls, I would probably be able to give them much better feedback on what they could be doing, but I had no visibility into it. So tell me about the impact to the actual business about not having that alignment, because I know that it's, you know, first marketing and sales need to play well together, but then bringing product into the mix as well, it doesn't, or it it tends to be a mess most of the times, right? So what was the negative impact to the business apart from, you know, your own sanity of trying to manage everything for, for the business, not having wingman in place? What, what was that like? Yeah, so I would say three things, right? One is from a product perspective, it was much harder to get the exact, you know, kind of pain that the customer felt and why that needed to be prioritized, right? Like you build something with a workflow end to end, but, you know, there might be that one small thing that's missing in that workflow, which is causing the pain. So in our example, because Pioneer does like cross-border transactions, what the customers really needed at the end of it was they needed a certificate, right? To say that this money came from outside India. And without that being part of the product experience for them, it just meant that they couldn't use the product because then it would lead to compliance issues later on when they were doing their tax filings. And so this was this was kind of a very specific to the geography type of use case, right? But then you know, the whole thing was that we couldn't open a whole segment if we were not providing this very simple certificate. Similarly, you know, we also had different competitive dynamics in the market in India versus, say, in China or U.S., Right. And just getting product to understand, hey, this is what, you know, your competitor is offering. This is the price at which they are offering. This is the pain that people are facing with that competitor. And the only reason why they would want to switch. It it was all just very difficult to get prioritized. Right. Because if you hear it from somebody who's the actual user, you somehow perceive it very differently versus a salesperson coming and telling you. Because, you know, whenever you hear a salesperson coming and telling you, you are thinking of it almost as, is this yet another excuse why they couldn't close the deal? So, yeah. <laughs> no, I get that. I get that a lot. And then and then when you introduce a tool into an organization, speaking broadly now about a company adopting something like Wingman, when you introduce that into the organization, what sort of a response do you get, not just from management, because I can see that there's a lot of benefit for, for management and, and people leading the teams, but what sort of a response do you get from the actual account executives and salespeople on the ground? And how does that improve their performance? Yeah, so I think the first thing that it does for the account executives is that it gives them the opportunity to learn from their peers, right? And at the end of the day, we want to create a collaborative team atmosphere in sales teams. And very often it lands up being much more of A versus B versus hey. You know, could we be working together to actually learn faster or, you know, be iterating on messaging faster, et cetera? Like, you know, how often does a salesperson go and say that, hey, I heard that objection and this is how I handled it. And I think it landed really well. And, you know, why don't you go try the same thing? So I think one is it actually supports a lot more with the peer learning and the team culture. The second part of it, I feel just purely from an individual and sales reps perspective is 
I'm always divided when I'm on a call, whether I should be taking down notes and, you know, nodding aggressively to still show that I'm paying 100% attention. And I think it completely takes that away, right? Like, and very often this happens, right? Like, you're like, if I don't write that down, I'll forget it by the end of the call. But if I am writing it down, then maybe I'll miss what the person's going to say next. So it kind of completely takes that off. And today, of course, with Generative AI, uh, you know, the automated summaries of the meetings are so good that it saves you a ton of time and energy in doing your follow-up emails and maybe even sharing that information with your product or marketing teams as it may be. So yeah, I think from an individual perspective, there are lots of benefits. But of course, as you go up the ladder, you know, the manager and the leadership get a very different value out of it. So tell me about that journey. I mean, AI is a massively hot topic now with ChatGPT coming out and a bunch of other things going on in the world of AI, and it's developing really, really quickly. So tell me what drove you to further explore the world of AI and and how did you connect that to sales? Yeah, so I think when when we are thinking of starting up, of course, one of the things was, you know, you should start up something that has a good founder market fit. And my co-founder had, he was one of the founding members of Uber's AI ML infrastructure team. And so we knew that that was something that, you know, we should, that was strong in our DNA. And we wanted to make sure that we were thinking of ideas where, you know, those things were applicable. For us today with Vignan, what we've seen is it's just incredible how much the technology has changed right over the last five years so today of course everybody talks about generative ai but like if you go back and even look at transcription five years back right the accuracy of transcription was much much poorer than what is it is today right and one of the open ai products that we've been using before the chat gbd thing has actually been the transcription models uh, and literally they've improved our accuracy of being, you know, 75% or so to being like 90 plus percent. And that is incredible. And these are models that, you know, we can host and run ourselves. So, you know, even from a cost perspective, it is, you know, 100x better. It's not even like just 10x better. So uh, I think just the pace of development in the space has been so phenomenal. And yeah, I mean, I think with the current phase, like the whole point is you always felt that there were things that only humans could understand or do because only humans could understand those things that needed to be done. I think the the fundamental shift in how good generative AI is becoming and doing some of those and how good transcription is becoming, I think we have to think about how does the way we interact with technology change in the next five to 10 years? It's not just about, can it go and write a piece of cold email for me? But it's going to be a lot more about like, hey, how am I going to interact with, you know, the lights in my room versus, you know, my data sitting in a data center. I'm going to talk a lot more about what's happening next in the world of AI soon, but you've mentioned your co-founders a couple of times. I'm interested. How did you, how did you meet your co-founders? Yeah, so I would say a little bit of serendipity and a lot of good friends. So I met one of my co-founders through a common friend who, you know, did undergrad with my co-founder and did post-grad studies with me. And he introduced us because Lee said he was also looking to start up. I was thinking of starting up. And so that's how we got together. And Murli and Shrikar, my co-founder who's on the AI ML side, he ha- they have known each other for like 20 years uh, since their first jobs together. So he he managed to do his best sales job of his life by convincing Shrikar to you know pack up his bags, leave Uber and move all the way back <laughs> to India with the family. It looks like you had an amazing salesperson in the company from day one. That is awesome. 
And I think that's probably one of the biggest problems that people come up with in the early days because they have this awesome idea, but everyone's looking for a tech co-founder. Everyone's always looking for a tech co-founder. So the fact that you're able to meet the two other people in your company and, and start something and grow it to where it is, is, is amazing. It's amazing. So now moving on to the trends, right? So how do you see not AI in general, but more focusing towards sales tech and how do you see AI improving the world of sales? Yeah. So I think if we think about, you know, the fundamental ways in which people use technology in sales, right? I think one of the most fundamental ones is the fact that they use broadly a CRM, right? And the CRM goes in as very much, you know, exaggerated version of, you know, your Excel tables or something, right? Like you're taking in data and you're hoping to be able to get data out of it and maybe analyze it in some ways. But the biggest challenge there has always been that, you know, somebody has to go put in that data. And most companies will tell you that, oh, this report looks fantastic, but I don't know if I can trust the data behind it because the sales rep has to put in the data and I know how good my sales reps are at putting in the data. <laughs> so I feel like you know, that's going to be the one big thing, which is just, can I can I actually you know, have a conversation with someone and then have AI actually put it into the right slots within you know, structured data forms? Like, could it say that, hey, when I spoke to Mladen about you know, this competitor, was this me actually saying that I am thinking or evaluating this competitor? Or was it me just saying that I know somebody who's a friend there? Or, you know, like, what was the context? And, you know, where does this need to go in my data set? Um, so I feel one is it's really going to fundamentally change the way, you know, what information gets captured, how it gets captured, and therefore the reliability of that information. The second part of it is going to be in terms of also just being able to interact with that information, right? Like today, people have an external Salesforce implementation partner who then needs to build these fancy dashboards. You know, a new person comes along and they are like, oh, but, you know, I want to see this data differently. And then you again go back and like build a new dashboard. But could you, but that's not how we fundamentally think, right? Like nobody wakes up and says, oh, I would love to see a beautiful pie chart that, you know, <laughs> shows me the split. Like, you know, what you're really looking to do is, oh, I would want to know how is my segment split at the top of the pipeline and at the bottom of the pipeline, right? And that's kind of the question answer format that we think in and that we could then go back and use. Those are just some very simple examples when I'm using the CRM as my baseline for saying, hey, what is the most fundamental thing that every salesperson uses? But then I think you start thinking of it in terms of interactions that salespeople have with the buyer, right? And then you're like, why are those interactions, you know, so different? Why why do I have like, you know, sales reps who are doing really well? Why, are, why do I have sales reps who are doing much worse? Can I try to bring more, you know, order to this chaos? And then you begin to think of use cases like, could I have AI help me generate better emails based on the last conversation and the last email and maybe the question that got asked or as a combination of these three? And could that be much faster to go dig out information from a discussion that happened in Slack six months back, right? So I think the the fact that, you know, as human beings, we are constrained by how much information data we can store in our heads at any point in time, whereas AI is not, right? So you could actually be bringing in many more sources of information to help you give better answers to your customer. I mean, I think the world of possibilities is endless. I can probably talk a lot more about it, but, but I feel like if you think of it just in those basic forms of, you know, CRM interactions, 
there's just so much that's going to change. But how sophisticated do you think it can get? And going back to that point of knowing how good your sales reps are at inputting data, do you think that this the, the AI system will be able to get sophisticated enough to analyze the vendor, the company you're speaking with, the conversation, and then analyze everything, his, all of the historical data that's happened and be able to input things like, you know, expected close dates, analyze the sales cycles, roll out averages and tell you, you know, based on the conversations and the touch points you've had and the people you've interacted with, we expect this deal to close in, you know, three or six months or things like that. Do you think it would be able to, or has it already reached that level of sophistication? So it's funny that you asked that question. And I think Larry has fundamentally been doing that for many years now. They've, of course, looked at many different data sources where, you know, they're not necessarily trying to predict a close date, but what they're trying to predict is, hey, what is the probability that this deal is actually going to close by this close date that's been put into the system, right? So that you're basically saying, hey, this deal is supposed to close in Q2, you know, the sales rep is calling it at 90%, but based on all the other signals I'm seeing, or have we sent the contract? Are decision makers involved in this conversation? You know, have we had a call with a decision maker in the last one month? Do we have next step set up? Like it's taking all of that information and then coming up with an AI-based score. And then what it's getting the chance to do, and I think this is the beauty of sales data, you know, the truth comes out every quarter, right? Like, you know whether or not the deal closed. So the AI has a lot of data to actually then learn and say, oh, I predicted that this will be at a 70%. And, you know, this didn't actually close. And 10 out of the other deals that I predicted at 70%, you know, seven of them closed and three didn't. So maybe I'm good. So it's able to also have enough data go in for it to improve. But what is going to happen is that the level of data that's available is just going to increase so much more with the large language models. And just, you know, I think in the last 10 days, there's a new LLM model that came out, which could take a lot more context to give you the output, right? So one of the limitations with the chat GPT models has been that the amount of context or tokens that you can feed into it at any given point in time is limited. Now, the new model allows you to like feed literally the amount of data that goes into a PhD thesis and then give you the information, right? You don't expect a salesperson to go read a 500 page worth of you know, information from different sources to then write the best email. But you can expect the AI to do that for you. And with the volumes of data becoming so large and there are going to be many more inputs that salespeople need to put in. So one thing that, that I've been trying to figure out lately do you think that there's going to be a new job that comes out of this do you think that there's going to be a new space for a new person to come in and maintain all of that data and figure out what do i feed in from our crm or whatever wherever our our customer interactions are stored what do i feed into this ai model to be able to get the answers and assist sort of like a sales engineer but just sitting within the crm do you think that there's going to be a a, a role that comes up like that in the future that's that's an interesting question. I mean, it is very possible that your revenue operations role, you know, might expand to actually include also figuring out like other data sources that this needs to plug in with. And I think we saw a little bit of that, you know, when marketing operations became a thing where marketing operations were suddenly like, oh, I need to connect like these five, 10 different systems for it to kind of work together and make sense. But I agree that, you know, maybe to that extent, either whether a new role or whether a new definition of the revenue operations 
role that existed and recently there was a report that said revenue operations is one of the fast growing fastest growing jobs in the us right now and you know part of it is i think also just the value of data that people are beginning to realize right for a long time i think people wanted to believe that sales was largely an art and a little bit of science just to the extent that you needed to fill in your crm but i think today i think people are taking a much more analytical view to it and how do you think the sales profession is changing overall on a human level i i understand that sales people are now able to analyze a lot of data and and make more informed decisions and 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 follow different types of processes with this data so do you think this is how are sales people going to change in the sense that are they going to become more data driven are they is it going to go is that human aspect going to stay around that art side of things or how do you think that's going to evolve so i think fundamentally when you think about how sales people or sales professionals going to change we also have to think about how the buyer behavior is changing or has changed and i think what has happened is that you know everybody hears this but uh, it's really stark from inside of a sales cycle is how much today your buyer knows before they come and speak to you right and over a period of time how much more will they want to be able to know before they come and speak to you so as that changes right the what they are looking at towards the salesperson for changes a lot right so i increasingly want my salesperson to be more you know a consultant to me and a subject matter expert because what i'm speaking to a salesperson for is the fact that the salesperson has probably heard the story from you know 50 other customers who are similar to me and they can probably tell me what has worked what has not worked plus educate me on exactly what part of their product is going to help me or not help me right so i think one driving force towards why sales people need to change is i think just the buyer expectations from a sales person have changed i think the second part of it is that the manufacturing cost of technology products people believe is fundamentally going to also go down right because you're able to get generative ai to maybe write code much faster which means that products are going to have you know many more features it's probably going to be much more complexity and so becoming an expert in that is also going to become harder for a salesperson like assume you're selling you know a software or a tech product of some sort so i think those you know apart from all of the stuff that we spoke about the availability of data i think those are going to be fundamental external factors feeding into why a salesperson will need to change their behavior interesting and and do you think that the overall the the overarching way that people build sales organizations is going to change do you think that predictable revenue model of sdr to account executive to customer success and so on do you think that's going to stay the same or do you see ai disrupting the way that sales teams are built and the way that sales teams operate yeah so i i definitely feel that there are parts of the job that are you know that that maybe an ai can do better than a, a human right like i said i can't remember like a list of 100 names and you know like their 100 attributes right like but an ai is it's like nothing so i feel that there are definitely parts of the job that are going to get either automated out or augmented by ai substantially right now would i bet for some of that automation away from humans to happen in the next 2 years or in the next 5 years maybe that's somewhat debatable because the technology is evolving so far but there are definitely elements right like i i would say that i would bet my hat that 
I wouldn't have sales reps entering data into CRM, you know, five years from now. Like maybe it will happen sooner. Will I expect an SDR to still be calling and have a conversation with people? I would say yes. But would I expect them to be, you know, having to go to 20 different sources to write their first cold email? Maybe no. Maybe they, I will do a first draft for them that is pretty good and maybe they'll queue tweak it a little bit. So I think that different parts of the job are going to change significantly. But, you know, fundamentally, I feel that depending on what you're selling, of course, there is some human element to, you know, what people buy and whom they buy from. And going back to talking about what buyers expect from salespeople, from my perspective, salespeople need to be able to provide some sort of value along the way during a customer's buying process, right? Otherwise, as you said, they can just go on the internet and see what's available and make the purchase. So for people looking to get into the world of sales and with all of this technology coming up, where would you push them to upskill themselves? What things do you think that they should be working on? And how do you think that salespeople can stay relevant in this new world of AI and technology? So I think at this point, that's probably one thing is to be open to the fact that AI is going to change that job, right? And to maybe be proactive about playing around with it, right? And figuring out like, hey, where could I be leveraging this better? I feel, you know, when when ATM machines came, people felt that what will happen to all of the bank tellers. But I think over a period of time, things kind of evolve and you develop different skill sets, right? So to your question of what are the specific skill sets that people will need to, you know, figure out, I think focusing on the more kind of human aspects of the job and using AI much more effectively to help you do the more expertise type of tasks, which require a lot of data to go into a single unit of output. And I think the third part of it is just, you know, there are still so many specific contexts, right, that you want somebody, you want the salesperson to really be kind of your hot partner and finding a solution for that problem within your specific use case. And I think that is kind of, again, the solution-based thinking might be something that you'll have to partner with an AI to do, but I think you will still, like, I think the AI will be good at kind of at the generating state saying, hey, okay, from a very general thing, I see these are the five options, but then you'll probably need the human being to say which in this case I think is the best option. And then what about, people managing sales teams, you got your VPs of sales, your CROs, what what do you urge them to start thinking about and, and what should they be doing to upskill themselves? That's a great question and I think a really tough one. So I'll, I'll tell you an anecdote. A few weeks back, one of the Wingman customers, they actually posted saying they started using chat GPT to actually give feedback on calls. So they would take the transcript of a sales call and then they would ask, generative AI to say, tell me three things that were good on this sales call, three things that were not good on this sales call. And, you know, this is what you would expect a manager to be doing, right? (laughs) And then they would go and take this and share it back with the sales rep and say, hey, did you think that feedback was relevant to you? And the scores they were getting for, you know, the relevance of the feedback was like 4.515. Like sales reps were not coming on out and saying that this was like utter crap. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. So, you know, I think the good thing is that 
we all realize as sales managers that there are parts of the job that again feel repetitive feel like the bang for the buck is low unfortunately sales coaching lands up falling in that category a lot of times right we all know it doesn't happen as often as it should so there are going to be parts of the job which you find you're not doing justice to that you should start thinking about how you would want to leverage ai for right and then there are parts of the job which you know just come with the title like you want to make a customer feel special you don't send a bot right you send your vp of sales <laughs> <laughs> so i think those are the things that you would then be able to focus more on and how does that how does that make you feel like i mean it, it is a scary thought to know that you know I'll, i'm not going to say some plenty of of managers aren't spending a lot of time coaching coaching their team and i think that's a really important aspect right not just from the coaching perspective but also getting to know your reps and getting to understand why they're doing the job what what they're striving to accomplish and you know also pushing them down the right career path what are your thoughts around eliminating or you know drastically reducing the amount of coaching reps are getting from their managers and relying on artificial intelligence so i honestly feel that you could actually be getting more coaching right if you are able to use the ai well to assist you right like i think a lot of what we are hearing about today is you know ai replacing a certain thing that human beings were doing but i think you know at least in the mid term what we are going to see is ai assisting human beings to do something that they were doing right like so even in my example ideally you know what you want is for the manager to look at that feedback and then be able to say oh you know what this has been a consistent feedback for this person let me try and maybe go a little bit deeper with this person understand you know are there certain underlying beliefs that this person has etc now in the past they wouldn't have had realistically the time to you know maybe review five calls for each rep every week because it is you know that would take them at least 5 to 7 hours uh, but today they could get the ai to help them with feedback on you know 5 to 10 calls they could then just spend that hour looking at that feedback and saying oh are there patterns that i am seeing is there something that i want to dig deeper into because they will understand the human being as a human being much better right so they might be like oh yeah you know early in my career i went through this oh i know that this other person on my team does this well should i connect them and get them to buddy up so those are the things where you would expect the manager to play a role but hopefully they are now doing those things with much more data backing them yeah that makes a lot of sense it sounds like it's all about embracing the ai and the technology that's coming instead of trying to shy away from it and and stay set in your ways and and doing what you've been doing up until now our, our ceo at our our current company binny map she always harps on about it. she's a ex university lecturer and she was talking about how universities are looking at banning chat gpt and you know all of the all of these ai products that are writing all of these essays and and assignments for people in university whereas her thoughts are why don't you embrace it why don't you bring it in and why don't you see how they can help them not just write the essays but also review them and and get get a much better understanding of how to critique work and and take insights out of that so really interesting really really interesting but uh, shruti i think that's about all for today one thing i wanted to ask just to leave people with if people want to reach out to you how can they get a hold of you Yeah I'm very active on LinkedIn I would love to connect with people there you can search for Shruti Kapoor on LinkedIn and hopefully I'm the one who'll show up or you can add wingman to it and I'll definitely be the one who shows up Fantastic thank you so much for your time it was an absolute pleasure having you on Thank you Marlon Thank you